because when a person is in Christ, that one is a new creation. Mm -hmm. The old passes away and all things become new. Mm -hmm. We are therefore given the ministry of reconciliation Mm -hmm. uh, and ambassadors for Christ. And so that was a really key moment for me. Welcome to Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. Today, I have Steve Nickel in the office. He serves as our vice president for donor ministries, and um, he's a familiar voice, you know, speaks at devotions a lot, has so much wisdom and insight. And so we want to spend a lot of time in God's Word and what he's teaching um, Steve right now. But to start, Steve, um, just to go back, for those who maybe don't know, can you just share um, what brought you to Samaritan's Purse, what, over 20 years ago? Um, How did God lead you here? And maybe introduce yourself. Yeah, in 1990, Jim Loscheider and I met in Colorado Springs. He was then with the Christian and Missionary Alliance as a uh, regional manager or director for their stewardship department. I was heading the stewardship department at Back to the Bible in Lincoln, Nebraska. Jim's boss at that time asked me to come share with the Christian Missionary Alliance stewardship team how we did things at Back to the Bible. And so that's where Jim and I met. He had just started with that ministry at that time. And so we became acquainted, stayed in touch over the years. And then it was uh, almost 11 years later that he called me uh, and asked me to look at this job at Samaritan's Purse. He had just come here the year before in 2000 and uh, early February. uh, I still remember the day. It was February 8th. Uh, because the call came out of the blue. It was a great surprise. I was not looking to go anywhere, but God made it clear over the course of the next two months that he was calling me and my family uh, to come. And so that was sort of how things developed. And that was in May of uh, 2001, May 10. Uh, Mother's Day was the 13th. I remember that. And so that's when, when I began. Mm-hmm. And your background, you are a lawyer, correct? Is that what you were? While I was uh, in the stewardship ministry at Back to the Bible, it, it seemed clear that God wanted me to pursue that uh, mm-hmm. legal degree to be more helpful to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lady one time ask me after I read her will at her request, and she wanted information on on how to uh, remember Back to the Bible in her estate plan. And uh, after I read her will, she looked at me and asked, are you, are you an attorney? Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And this look on her face, whether it was what she intended or not, I perceived it to say, you are a fraud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I'm sure she didn't mean that, but uh, that was sort of the, the moment when God... Uh, pricked my heart that mm-hmm. there's an opportunity here. And and a verse that had become meaningful to me for some years before that was Second uh, Peter 1, uh, early in the chapter where it says, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, knowledge, and then there are five other virtues added to faith there. And that word knowledge really impressed me and and I, uh, I realized I needed to add to my knowledge mm. and become more uh, professionally uh, prepared 
uh, to serve people, make myself more valuable to the ministry and to God's people who wanted help. Mm-hmm. And so we don't practice law, of course, in stewardship or planned giving uh, work, but we're informers and educators, mm-hmm. and it's helpful to uh, have the background and the uh, awareness of what the law provides and the tax uh, benefits that are available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I just I, lo- I knew a little bit, but I always love hearing how God uses backgrounds, yeah. gifts, and talents for where He puts them within the ministry, and so. Um, and I know you were a great encouragement to Edward and I when we came here, you know, yeah. just sharing scripture and verses and encouragement of how when God calls you, yeah. he will be faithful. Yeah. And so can you talk to me about the early days? Here you came in May 2001, yeah. you know, and we had 9-11 come just a couple months later. Yeah. So that's your first year working in the ministry. Can you talk to me about what God taught you in that leap of faith yeah. and, and coming and trusting him? Yeah, 2001 was a uh, obviously a watershed year for uh, my family and me. Uh, we have four children, two daughters and two two sons, and the oldest is was 15 at the time. Uh, that's a tough time to move uh, a young lady. Uh, she was not happy. Uh, one of one of my prayers as we approached this decision, uh, Wanda and I. Uh, was uh, to make sure that God was leading my whole family, our family, mm-hmm. that I wasn't just looking for a career move here uh, to climb some professional ladder, but rather he was he was calling our whole family. And of course, when he calls his child to do something, everybody connected to that person. Uh, he is working in their circumstances as well, whether family or friend or whatever. And uh, it was our 12-year-old, our second daughter, who really uh, became the means by which God made clear he was answering that prayer of calling the family. When we told our kids on a Saturday night uh, before we went to church on Sunday and several people knew there that we were probably gonna be moving and we didn't want our kids to be surprised by their kids at church, uh, I heard you're moving and so forth. So we were talking to our children about it and, and lots of tears and reminiscing and laughter and stories and reflecting and so forth. And uh, that night, before the girls uh, finally crashed and went to bed. Um, we were just talking with them, and and my oldest said, uh, Dad, what happens next? And I said, well, I need to give my answer on Monday uh, as to my willingness to come. And then they will do their background check, and I'm sure that'll all work out, and then they'll extend an invitation and offer. And uh, she said, well, can't you just say no? Uh, and to her, that was a legitimate option here. Just say no, because this is painful, and we we can just eliminate the pain if you'll just say no. And and 12-year-old Annie said, uh, uh, what, Cheryl, close your heart to God and get punished for it? (laughs) I looked at Wanda, I said, well, we certainly have trained them well in the fear of punishment, haven't we? (laughs) But but that was just a a really key moment uh, of God's revelation through our 12-year-old's mouth that he was calling our family. And now Annie, right now, as we're sitting here, is with her husband, Zach, in Armenia, serving with Samaritan's Purse on the dart. And we're just so proud of them. And, uh, you know, when when they went early December, uh, she called and she was obviously disappointed and knew we would be disappointed they wouldn't be with us for Christmas because this was our Christmas to be together all as a family. Our children are all grown now. And... uh, 
And anyway, she was a little bit teary, and I said, Annie, don't be, don't be sad. Uh, this is why we moved to North Carolina, was so you could marry Zach and travel the world with ministry. <laughs> so God's doing what he called us here to do, and that was one part of it, of course. Uh, 2001 uh, went on then, as, as you've already alluded to. Uh, we had 9-11 in the fall, but before I get to that, just another uh, watershed moment in, in July the 31st of July, 2001. I started in May, July. By the end of the month, I was ready to go start making calls on donors in the, in the uh, field, so to speak. And uh, this man in Kentucky wanted us to, wanted me to uh, come and talk to him about his estate plan. He had several small businesses, and uh, uh, in a second marriage, he had stepdaughters, and his mother was still living. He had all these things to think about, his mm-hmm. properties, and, and he wanted to remember Samaritan's Purse in his estate plan. And so it was an opportunity to, for him to uh, just get educated mm-hmm. about his options and thoughts we might have. And uh, since I was an attorney, he wanted to talk to me. And so I went over there and visited with him, and I talked for him uh, through the various objectives. I talked with him for a couple of hours, and uh, as I try to do in all of these conversations is move people to center. What's God saying? What's he put in your heart? And uh, uh, he couldn't follow me to center. Uh, John couldn't. And it suddenly became apparent, and the Spirit just made it very clear to me I needed to ask John about his soul. And so I just kind of blurted it out. John, we've talked for two hours about your stuff and what's going to happen to it when you die. The more important question is, where will your soul be when you die? And he didn't know. And I got to be there when the Spirit turned the light on for him uh, through the gospel and uh, prayed the prayer and re- received Christ. And And he, he grabbed my arm after he, he said, amen. He says, Steve, it all makes sense now. Hmm. And, and that was the watershed moment, my first hmm. call. Uh, for Samaritan's Purse in an estate planning opportunity. God was just reminding me I wasn't here to exercise my education and my skills and all the opportunities to be taken advantage of to raise money for Samaritan's Purse. Uh, all of that would happen if we just kept the main thing the main thing. Mm-hmm. That is to remember we are ambassadors for Christ, mm-hmm. ministers of reconciliation, urging people to be reconciled to God and never see Seeing them as merely uh, uh, what what shall we say uh, human ATMs out of which to get money? Mm-hmm. If we've got the magic code, uh, that's idolatry. Uh, rather, we want to see them as eternal souls, as Paul says in Second Corinthians five sixteen. We don't regard anyone from merely an earthly perspective, because when a person is in Christ, that one is a new creation. Mm-hmm. The old passes away and all things become new. Mm -hmm. We are therefore given the ministry of reconciliation Mm -hmm. uh, and ambassadors for Christ. And so that was a really key moment for me, Mm -hmm. July of uh, 2001. And then, of Mm -hmm. course, 9-11 happened. And uh, what we saw happening, what I was able to observe there with particularly some folks who were uh, uh, well-blessed with material things, uh, when the towers came down, and I, I had some very personal and poignant conversations with people uh, who had been close to or knew people who were involved. One couple particularly had worked. They were working in the towers, both of them, 
in New York City. But that day, they had not been there. They were not there, and their lives were spared. They literally sold everything and went into full-time ministry. And I forget what what that ministry was, but uh, that was a really poignant story. And we saw numerous examples of people talking to us about uh, how that event changed their perspective on the mm-hmm. things of this world, and that life is not about the accumulation of things, but rather the use of things as Jesus taught uh, after the parable of the shrewd manager, use the things of this world to win friends for yourself for eternal life so when you get there, you will be warmly welcomed. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I mean, again, I wanted to hear your heart and your story, but I think no better time than the start of 2021 where there continues to be just uncertainty, a new administration, you know, so much change and, and unknowns. But for someone like you who has walked with the ministry, you know, since some some really shaky t- unknown time, but I think you're right. I can remember 2001 so clearly, it changed everybody. You know, what What are we here for? You know, it just reminded us all how quickly life could be over. And I love how you shared your first call was to a non-believer yeah. and how, I mean, what a great way to start the ministry. I just assume everybody that gives to Samaritan's First knows the Lord. Right. But you're right, we, we can't assume that. Right. And so I guess my question is, how do you encourage people um, in uncertainty and in unknowns um, that don't have an eternal perspective like that? Yeah, well, of course, most people who support the ministry are uh, believers and they're with us because they are fully invested in mission of reaching the world for Christ. And uh, uh, many give very faithfully and sacrificially. Uh, But there are those, and we just need to be sensitive to the Spirit Mm -hmm. uh, because He's directing our steps and showing us the way to go. He's, uh, as Isaiah says, you hear hear the voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, being attentive to what people are saying, the cues God is giving, the clues people are revealing about their spiritual well-being. And, of course, uh, money... uh, is, uh, as we know from the New Testament, uh, a, a great temptation. Those who would be rich, Paul said, fall into many temptations, and it's just not a good way to live. And so uh, even those who don't intend to uh, uh, make that their goal, it it is insidious. It kind of climbs in and puts tentacles, and Ecclesiastes 5 talks about how the rich man has really nothing better to do than to sit and feast his eyes on all that he's accumulated and then try to keep all the leeches out of it. And and what a you know what a hopeless and miserable way to live just trying to protect stuff that you've worked hard and Ecclesiastes also talks about uh, uh, how uh, you you live and accumulate and chapter two says you're going to leave it to somebody who didn't work for it and you don't know whether that person is going to be wise or a fool with what you leave to them and so uh, use use the things of this world enjoy what god provides find work to do that you love to do and do it with all your might as unto the lord and then at the end of ecclesiastes 2 god actually says through the through the teacher there uh to to the to the unbeliever god gives the task of storing up wealth to hand it over to the righteous 
So, so that's just a metaphor for the fact that God gets it all back in the end. And he will be the one who rewards each one for what they do. That's so often repeated in the scripture. And so we try to pay attention. We're not beating people over the head with uh, the word and telling them they need to be more generous. Second uh, Corinthians 9, 7 says, As a man purposes in his heart, so let him give. It's the Holy Spirit that puts it in the heart of the, of the individual. Even the unbeliever can be moved by the Holy Spirit. And I was talking to someone recently, uh, I don't know whether he was a believer or not, but he was just asking me about this this donor ministry stuff. What, What does it mean to you? And I said, you know, we're all made in the image of God. And part of his image a key part of his image is to be generous. And so whether we are a believer in God or not, the reality is when we give, we are acting like him. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, we try to encourage people uh, to think about life from a place of generosity and expression of giving uh, to those who are less fortunate or in greater need or whatever, uh, because when we act like God, we tend to become more like him. And so uh, we don't talk about that explicitly necessarily with everybody, but uh, that's just a fact of life that when you encourage people to consider the opportunity to be a difference maker in somebody else's life, you move them toward God-likeness. And that's the ultimate goal. Uh, We are here to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Mm -hmm. And when we act like Him, we are moving toward Him. I love that. I needed that today. Um, so actually early on when Edward and I got married, I got to work with Donor Ministries for a year and um, help make calls. And and I didn't know prior to that, I didn't know that existed, you yeah. know? And I mean, like you said, people think they're asking for money. You're not. And actually I got hung up on a lot. I got yelled at a lot because people <laughs> thought I was asking for money. And I said, we're not. Yeah. We're actually calling to pray with you yeah. and to, to just answer questions that you might have. And I think donor ministries is one. I mean, all ministries have to know a lot about what's happening, but more than ever, donor ministries and communications have to know all that's going on. You know, you have to stay updated. Um, And so I think you guys know um, what the ministry's doing all over the world because some can get so compartmentalized in their department. Um, and that's that's the goal of this podcast is to help people see, yeah. you know, what Operation Heal Our Patriots is doing, what um, Children's Heart Project is doing, but you get to stay updated right. with all of those projects and you get to know the heartbeat of who's giving. Mm-hmm. So can you talk to me? Because I think it's so good to look back at what God's done, you know, Joshua commanded us to do, or God commanded Joshua and the Israelites to take up stones, you know, and to remember when they crossed the Jordan, you know, so when their children and their children's children asked, you know, he wanted memorials and he wanted us to remember what God had done. So I think it's so good to do that. And so you have witnessed God's faithfulness in the ministry for 20 years now. I think looking back is encouraging to show people that as long as God's giving us you know, the supplies and the resources to do the ministry. We're going to be faithful and we're yeah. going to be obedient. Um, and so maybe just to encourage people that are tired and that yeah. have been working hard, because I think many of our projects have been even busier because of COVID. There's so much more work to do. You know, what what scripture does God encourage you with when you're maybe tired and weary in a season? 
Well, Paul said to the Galatians, uh, let's not grow weary in doing good, Mm -hmm. for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Now, uh, God did not intend us, however, to burn out Mm -hmm. for him. Uh, He wants us to be good stewards of the grace of life in all its forms, and that includes taking care of our physical well-being and our emotional and obviously our spiritual well-being. We are three-part beings, and we need to be good stewards of all of those. Mm -hmm. So paying attention to where we are physically, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. And you just need to need to take time to rest mm-hmm. and uh, understanding and being in tune with your physical well-being and emotional. Uh, you know, talking to people uh, who, who are going to be honest, uh, I, I've shared with many people uh, the privilege of walking with a couple of men for many years in my life who, who are rigorously honest with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're able to share the wheat and chaff of our life and what's mm-hmm. going on, dragging the the bad stuff out into the light because that's where it can be cleansed and healed and and just being honest with each other. Uh, somebody has said, you know, we need brutal honesty. I, I prefer rigorous honesty because brutal honesty uh, tends to not pay enough attention to the impact it has on the hearer or, or the receiver. Uh, rigorous takes into account the impact it will have on the person I'm speaking to. And so it's thorough, it's complete, it's truthful, but it's loving and it's considerate. And, uh, and so uh, the scripture is full of uh, messages to us as believers in regard to how to re- uh, relate to one another, how to care for one another, how to care for ourselves, uh, to love oneself uh, as Jesus commanded us to do so that we can love others as we love ourselves. There is a holy way to love ourselves, uh, and that's not selfish, uh, nor is it ignorant, uh, but rather it's rigorous, and it's walking in faithfulness both individually and in tandem with others. You know, there, there's a reason Jesus uh, walked, uh, came up to those two guys on the road to Emmaus. They were in relationship trying to sort out what is the truth about what's going on in this confusion that we are experiencing. And Jesus shows up in that relationship. And it's interesting, there are two of them. And he speaks to them. And then when he disappears from them, they are able better than to be good stewards of their emotional and spiritual and probably physical well-being as well uh, because they're walking in relationship. God made us for relationships. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's so encouraging Um, and so true. I think of, as you were talking, I just thought of Elijah, you know, when he was just running for his life, fearful, tired. The first thing God had him do was sleep, Yeah. you know, and then he fed him. He sent food. And then, you know, after speaking to him, you know, he said, I'm going to provide a friend for you. You know, he said, I'm going to help you. You know, Elisha, you're not going to be alone because he said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one that's following you, God. And God said, no, you're not. And I'm going to send you help. You're right. Those are three, I think, in my life, key things that when I get physically worn out, you know, God... God reminds us we need yeah. rest, we need food, we need fellowship. Yeah. At the same time, God also takes us to a place of isolation and loneliness mm-hmm. from time to time so that he can prove that he is mm-hmm. all we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Psalm 23, mm-hmm. uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will not fear for you are with me. The point of walking through any valley Mm. is so that God, the good shepherd, can prove to us and teach us that he is, in fact, all we need. But he gives us our needs. He meets our needs also through others Mm -hmm. that he will bring along. But there are those times Mm -hmm. when he takes us to a place of isolation and sometimes desolation where everything else is stripped away. And he teaches us there that we don't have to be afraid Mm -hmm. that he is with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is so true. I know. I feel like God's word, I mean, all of God's word has been comforting to me, but so much of it is the Old Testament and, you know, David's words when he's in isolation or alone. Or, in fact, today I read Psalm 46, and I just love, God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roars and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Um, You know, and then again, we love 4610, you know, stop fighting, be still, cease striving, and know that I am God, exalted among the nations. God is with us. He is the God of, and Jacob is our stronghold, you know, and and, I uh, Tony Evans says, the chaos around you shouldn't override the calm within you. Yeah. You know, because we have God and we have that hope that is an anchor, when everything is going around around us, whether it's isolation, yeah. whether it's chaos, whether it's uncertainty or, or what, you know, the uncertainty that this year brings, yeah. I think some people are anxious. They are fearful. Um, and I'm sure you have a better pulse of that because you talk to more people mm-hmm. around the country. But they are, and we need to be reminded that the chaos around us shouldn't override the calm within us. Yeah. And so that's why I want to spend some time right now in God's Word, and you're already encouraging me um, how to do that. And so what are you hearing from our donors and from the people that love, pray, and support for this ministry? You know, how can we be praying for them? What is the heart? What are they, what are you hearing? Yeah. There are many who are so encouraged. Uh, Franklin's voice is strong and consistent, mm-hmm. uh, engendering trust in the Lord, uh, speaking to the reality that things change. And yeah, we need to be concerned and we need to be active and praying, uh, but we need to trust. And uh, we're hearing a lot of that. People are encouraged uh, as they call. Uh, we get a mix of calls, of course, in donor ministries of the uh, 200,000 plus phone calls we got last year. I'm just speculating. I would guess probably uh, uh, less than 10% were negative, mm-hmm. uh, probably much less than that. Uh, the vast majority are positive. They love the ministry. They love what God's doing. They want to be a part of it. Uh, they recognize there's momentum that is changing lives and ultimately uh lives being changed means the world is changed, Mm -hmm. at least around that person Mm -hmm. and their influence. And so uh, that's the encouraging part. And when you stop and think about uh, uh, the greatest journey, for example, and more than 2 million children are going to uh, make a profession of faith this year, most likely if history is our uh, guide on that. Um, Think about the implication and the leveraging and the ripples Mm -hmm. that are going to grow out of those two million young lives that are changed. A lifetime uh, for many of them of serving God 
And so many of our donors see those things and hear those things, and they are so encouraged. At the same time, it's like the man who called uh, the other night on the prayer line uh, that we're helping to support the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association with. And, and I said, what can I pray with you about? And he said, I'm just so angry and so upset and frustrated. What are we going to do? Hmm. Uh, my wife told me I need to call this number because she saw that man on TV hmm. and she thought maybe somebody could help me with all of my emotions here. And uh, I don't know, he, he, he professed to be a believer, uh, but he was really wrought up and afraid. And what can we do? He wanted to do something. He actually said, I have 50,000 bullets in my garage, mm. and I want to do something. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, bullets are not what you need to do right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so I shared some scripture with him. And mm-hmm. uh, there are those. And, you know, even David, you, you take a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. And Psalm 56, 3 says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Mm-hmm. Uh, David gives us insight there into his soul. His heart's after God, but his soul is conflicted. Mm -hmm. And he says, when I am afraid. And so all of us have at the same time this opportunity to choose between fear and trust Mm -hmm. because both are present in us as frail human beings. We are Supernatural beings, having been given the divine nature, we have the supernatural in us, but we still walk around in bodies of flesh Mm -hmm. that are prone Mm -hmm. to temptation and failure. Mm -hmm. And Paul's words to Timothy are such a blessing. Even though we are faithless, he remains faithful because Mm -hmm. he cannot deny himself. Mm -hmm. God won't pull a piece of himself out and throw it away. Mm -hmm. That's what it would be to be unfaithful to us. Even when we're faithless, he's mm-hmm. faithful. Even when we're fearful, he's faithful, he's mm-hmm. trustworthy. And of course, David goes on in Psalm 56 to say, I will trust in God whose word I praise. Mm-hmm. I will trust and not be afraid. Mm-hmm. That's abiding in Christ. That's the counterpart for what Jesus taught to his disciples in John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and my Father will give it to you and he will make you fruitful. Hmm. Hmm. That is so good. Um, And you're so right. And that's why I've just been clinging to so many Old Testaments, you know, because you think of, um, you know, all the prophets and Habakkuk and Isaiah and so many that just were facing really scary, daunting times, you know, and even some of them, God would say, disaster is going to come. You know, Israel went through some really hard times and they were oppressed and they were taken captive, you know, but God reminded them, I am with you, you know, and they could end their chapters praising him. Though the fig tree does not bud and though the, you know, I don't have any crops yet, I will praise the Lord. And I love how you said that when it's okay to be afraid, it's okay. Um, But we come back to yet I will trust in the Lord, yeah. though the circumstances yeah. may not change. Though, And so I, I think that's just encouraging to staff, to families, because so many people listen to this. 
Um, and some, you know, again, some are, are isolated. I think yeah. COVID has done that to yeah. us. You know, some are working from home and then we have different people around the country that maybe aren't here at the international headquarters. They don't have the, the fellowship. They don't get to come to devotions. You know, I think right. our body is encouraged and edified by fellowship. But I think those that are isolated, it can either do one of two things. You know, it can drive you to the Lord or it can make you you know, it can make you go away from him. And I think we're seeing that just around our country. Mm-hmm. You know, our country is is reeling and struggling from isolation. Yeah. We're not meant to be alone. That's we're not right. meant to do life alone. And it is making people do some crazy things, That's you know, right. as we saw at the Capitol. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think our, we are just dealing with a year of chaos and yeah. people aren't doing well. Yeah. So I think I, your words are just so good to be reminded that everyone I come in contact with, you know, people at the grocery store, people everywhere, they are a soul. And I love how you said that, whether you're a donor or a beneficiary, we're all people and we all have a soul. Mm -hmm. And so our goal should be to share the light of Jesus with everyone we talk to and get the privilege to. So thank you for your encouragement today. Is there anything else um, as we've been talking that you've thought of just where you've seen God's faithfulness and, and maybe a time where you didn't think we could do it, we couldn't do this response, but God just showed up? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, these are interesting times. I was uh, studying in Psalm 24 um, yesterday and sharing with the little congregation that I pastor. And uh, Psalm 24 is the, is the king of glory passage. Mm-hmm. Five times in the last uh, four verses that phrase is used. And uh, my understanding is that's the only time that phrase is used in the scripture, the king of glory. Uh, variations of it are used, of course, the king and and uh, the one who comes in the name of the Lord and so forth. But uh, that psalm is about the fact that God is both warrior. Uh, he demonstrated that in subduing and putting into order uh, the, the chaos of the world before uh, it was created. Uh, it was formless and void. And he's the warrior God. He came and subdued the chaos of unbeing, one commentator calls it. Mm. And then he also subdues the chaos of evil. Mm. And that's what the psalmist and the community of faith is longing for. Uh, Lift up your heads, you gates. Throw open wide the doors that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? He's the Lord Almighty, uh, Lord Yahweh, personal God, and Lord of hosts, and warrior God. He subdued the chaos at creation. He will subdue the chaos of evil. And we don't have to be afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're concerned. Uh, mm-hmm. The vice presidents this morning are talking with Franklin about, uh, you know, what we're anticipating, trying to mm-hmm. to be prepared for whatever comes, because uh, uh, things are things are moving in a direction culturally and administratively in the in the new administration, and uh, uh, they are not as friendly to. Uh, us as a faith-based organization, particularly because of uh, how outspoken Franklin has been in social media. Uh, He is on the radar, and we are on the radar, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse. And and we know that that may produce uh, things that are unpleasant that we need to deal with. 
but we'll be prepared and we have nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. And we have a provider, a warrior God mm-hmm. who fights for us mm-hmm. and a personal God who is with us. Mm-hmm. And so whatever comes, uh, the, the heart of the king, uh, Pro- Proverbs says, is is like a water course mm-hmm. in the hand of the Lord. He directs it where he pleases mm-hmm. and he will accomplish his purposes. And uh, uh, he just is with us, Mm -hmm. and so we don't have to be afraid, as Psalm 46 said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that is so good. And I think, yeah, I just keep thinking of, you know, was it Jesus who said, in this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world, you know? And I think that's where, like you said, there are so many unknowns, and there may be attacks, and we may be, you know, but we have to remember what God has done. That's right. Who God is. Yeah. And what he will do. He yeah. will call us home. This is not our home. And I think that's what we talked about yeah. last week was, you know, Psalm 39, you know, David, I am but a shadow. You know, I this is not my home. We are aliens and sojourners. And so we need to be looking for for our true home. Yeah. And be bringing people with us. You yeah. know, be sharing that light and that hope because yeah. I just ache and long for people that don't know Christ. That's right. You know, facing what we're facing today. So thank you so much for your encouragement. Would you mind just closing us in prayer and maybe praying for our donors and then praying for our staff and our families as we do God's work? All right, thank you. Our Father in heaven, in Jesus' name we come. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is our Savior, our Redeemer, our Healer, our Provider, our coming King. And in fact, He is already seated on the throne, as Mm -hmm. Psalm 2 says, and just waiting for His inheritance. At the right time, He will ask for it, and all the nations will be given to Him, all the kings, even the tyrants, the oppressors, will bow the knee before Him. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that you have shown us your grace and your mercy, that we have bowed the knee now. We've confessed Jesus is Lord. We believe in our hearts that you raised him from the dead. Therefore, we have been saved eternally, and we are saved day by day and moment by moment from all that would undo us, because you are with us. Your Spirit is at work in us, and we pray to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, the spirit of discernment and insight so that we may be able to know what is best. Among all the good things we could do, we want the best. Mm -hmm. As living sacrifices, we will continue to serve you, to consecrate our lives in service to you for your glory. And Lord, we're just so thankful for all those you brought along with us to do the work of the ministry. We couldn't do it without them. And their giving wouldn't be worth anything if we weren't out there doing the work. And so we're thankful for this partnership. And we're grateful for all the family members who uh, support uh, the workers in the field particularly and those who have to be gone for extended periods of time. We pray for your grace and your mercy in their homes and for peace to prevail, uh, for homes to be havens of rest that uh, you will give good quality time when they can be together and when they're apart, that you will be the ever-present help. And so thank you for that promise and for the joy that we look forward to in walking with you day by day. In your presence, indeed, it is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures that last forever. And so, as we look forward to the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ, help us to be faithful today, making every effort to add the virtues that you've called us to add to our faith so that we will not forget who we are and whose we are. 
Thank you for giving us everything we need for life and godliness. In the name of him who loved us and gave himself for us, amen.